Welcome to Watch Therefore. Our Savior Jesus told us to watch for His coming, and the signs that He spoke of are all around us, shouting, Watch Therefore, and be ready. So join me, Dove Schwartz, as we learn to watch and prepare for the coming of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now today's program was recorded at Calvary Chapel Beth Shalom in Pearland, and I'd like to invite all of our listeners in the Houston area to join us at Calvary Chapel in Pearland, where the Bible is taught line upon line, chapter upon chapter, book upon book, where prayer is a priority and where fellowship is something we experience together as Jesus our Savior walks in our midst by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Ray Jensen is the new pastor at Calvary Chapel Beth Shalom, and the Lord has raised him up to lead this congregation in this critical hour just before the coming of Messiah Jesus. Listen today, and we pray you're blessed. And so Luke 21 and verse 1. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she, out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. Now, in the previous chapter 20, Jesus had just torn into the teachers of the law about their attitude towards widows because they stole from them in order to fatten their own wallets. That's how they got rich, is taking advantage of widows because they couldn't fight for themselves. And so now he pointed to a poor widow who was putting into the collection all that she had, two mites, not even half a penny. And so the percentage of what she gave was larger than the percentage that the rich people gave. These rich guys around her, they weren't given a very big percentage comparative to how much money they had tucked away. And so they weren't really given much at all. I read an interesting fact the other day that Bill Gates makes about, somebody tried to calculate it, Bill Gates makes it about $115 per second. So it would be a poor investment of Bill Gates' time to bother to stop and pick up a $100 bill. He's got so much. So what if Bill Gates came in here and gave $500 less than five seconds worth of his time? See what I'm saying? These rich guys, they weren't given anything comparative to what they could have been giving, but the poor widow gave a lot. This woman gave more than all the wealthy men around her. Now Jesus' point was that her gift, though small as two mites, it was more because she gave out of her poverty. Her poverty. Now, it's irritating to think of all the times that I've heard someone tell me that they can't afford to tithe. Well, I can't afford to tithe. Well, I'm off the hook. Yay, I don't have to tithe. I just justified it in my mind. That's the justification of someone that worships their money instead of God. Americans, especially those of you who call yourselves a Christian but refuse to tithe as God's word says, I want you to see here in Luke 20, verse 4, that this widow gave not out of her abundance. It says she gave out of her poverty. Out of her poverty. And Jesus said she gave more than the wealthy did. Giving to God is not about how much you give. It's about do you give at all? Are you a giver? Remember the parable of the master? He left his men with the minus to do the work, to do work with it while he was gone. One of them would not do service with what he was given. And so the master came back and took everything from him and said, give it to somebody else. Give it to him. Don't say 
you can't afford to tithe into the kingdom of God. Because if you say that, you're exposing your scale to people that you don't really find God to be someone worth obeying. We have to be givers. God loves a cheerful giver. I'm not setting you up to put in our box tonight. If you have a great ministry, go give to the ministry. I'd like for you to give tonight. You give where God tells you to give. This woman gave out of her poverty. We Americans have so much stuff we can afford to give, believe me. Luke 21 and 5. Then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, These things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be, and what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? Okay, this passage here in Luke 21, it parallels with Matthew 24. It's the same account. They're both talking about the same story here. In Luke 21, the disciples are asking about when the destruction of this temple is going to occur. But Matthew 24 recorded extra questions that they asked Jesus, which concerned the end of the age. And so I wanted to make you aware of all these questions so that it's easier to understand what Jesus is about to say here in Luke 21. Jesus' answers about the temple falling and the end of the age are recorded in Luke 21. He answers about all of this. But to understand why he talks about the end of the age, you have to see that the disciples asked him this in Matthew 24. They did not just ask about the temple only, they asked about extra things too. So let me show you their question in Matthew 24 and verse 1. Same, same story here, just has added information. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to him, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, with having the recordings of, from two different people, Mark and Luke, they both recorded the same story right here. We can see that they not only asked about the temple's destruction, but they also asked him about his coming and also the end of the age. Now, when you read the Bible, you have to understand that there are some accounts are recorded by different people. They're targeting a different audience. John was written for a particular audience. Mark was written for a particular audience. And so they wrote about the same things but have different information. That's not conflict. That's just one guy recording more than the other guy did. It's an addition of detail that one book has over another book. So, for example, if you read about Jesus walking on the water, I can recall this. Jesus walked on the water. This account is recorded in more than one gospel book. But only one of the gospel accounts adds the extra detail that Peter asked to get out of the boat and walk to him. So, uh, so again, this is not contradiction. It's just that one account had more detail than another. And so for us to understand the answer that Jesus is about to give them here in Luke 21, I wanted you to see from Matthew 24 all of the questions that they asked because it will make Jesus' reply to them much clearer for us to understand because they did not just ask about the temple destruction. They also asked about his return and the signs of the end of the age. So again, back to Luke 21 and 5. Some of them were very impressed with the temple. It was adorned, it says. Remarkable, beautiful craftsmanship. And Jesus told them it's all going to be torn down. It's all coming down. No stone would be upon another. 
It was going to be destroyed by Titus and the Roman army in 70 AD. He was telling them about something that had yet 70 years before it would happen. And so obviously the disciples really wanted to know when is this going to happen. You've got to figure their whole lives were around about the temple. God's presence and displaying of God in the world was demonstrated here in Israel. And they just found out it's going to be torn down. Well, when is it going to happen? That would have been my first question. When's this coming? They wanted to know. And specifically, what sign would let them know before this was going to happen? As well as the sign of his coming in the end of the age. And so in Luke 21 and 8, and he said, Take heed that you not be deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And the time is drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them. But when you hear of wars... And commotions do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places, and famines, and pestilences, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, you will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. You know, when I read this, I think about nation rising against nation. There's plenty of that going on. When I see this about the uh, famines, oh, there's a lot of that going on. Pestilence says, yep, that's going on, even here. Earthquakes, have you all, have you all seen the data about earthquakes? They're a lot more frequent than they used to be. That scientific data, it's going up. This is going on, y'all. Jesus warned them that others would claim to be him, the Messiah, so that they would, he, he did not want them to be deceived. So he warned them about that. Then he told them wars were, would occur, through, verse 9 through 10. When these things happened, he said the disciples were not to be frightened. Don't be afraid of this, for the end would not come right away. They thought the kingdom was about to slam down any time. Matter of fact, when, when uh, I believe it was Peter, when they were on the mountain of transfiguration and he saw Moses and uh, Elijah, he thought it had come down. He thought, hey, this is it. Let me build some tabernacle tents for y'all. Let's party. And the Bible says he didn't know what he was talking about because he, he thought it was on right then. They were expecting it any time. Jesus told him, no, it's not going to happen immediately. These events don't fit between Jesus' day and the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. These events and great signs from heaven refer to the great tribulation which will precede the Lord's return to earth. Remember, they asked him the signs of his return, if you think about it in Matthew 24. So part of his response to them was for their time, and now this part of famines, pestilences, was for later, before his return. When you first view all these things, you can sometimes get a bit lost on which would happen in our time, which would happen back in their time. But if you look at verse 12, Jesus says this, but before all these things, they will lay their hands on who? You. He was talking to them, the guys that were right in front of him in that day. They will lay their hands on you. So we can see here in verse 12, Jesus switches back to their present time. They will lay their hands on you delivering you to synagogues and prisons. This was going to happen to the disciples. As we remember, they were persecuted heavily in the book of Acts. Uh, Paul went through it pretty bad, a bunch of them. There's lots of persecution. 
But because of Jesus' predictions about things happening in the end times as well, we can tell that this persecution not only refers to the situation that would hit the disciples before the fall of Jerusalem, it's also going to confront believers in these last days. We have it. Persecution. The same persecution that was present then will be present today at both times. In verse 12 through 15, he talks about imprisonment. In verse 16, he talks about betrayal. Verse 17, he talks about hatred. It's all going on. The persecution that the original disciples would go through was a precursor to the ultimate persecution that future disciples would undergo. That's us. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we have already seen such things as this happening in our day. Just this year, this year in 2015, what's left of it, just a few days, 2015, County Clerk Kim Davis was put in jail for not approving of gay marriage in her office. We've seen that. She stood for the truth stated in God's Word that marriage is between a man and woman. She was not standing against homosexuality. She was standing for God's biblical way of holy matrimony is what she was doing. That's just one of the many ways we've seen persecution in our day. She got put in jail for this. She was imprisoned. And it's going to get worse as time goes along. That's why it's extremely important to be tied into the body of Christ in a congregation, to be in in the faith with other believers, because the closer we get to His return, the worse things are going to become. Now, we cannot put a date on His return, but I can tell you we are one week closer now than we were last week. Duh logic, Ray. (laughs) But it's true. We're getting closer all the time. But even with all this evil... We are to keep ourselves about the work of God's kingdom all times. I want you to take particular notice of what he says in verse 13. He says, it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. I love that part. Testimony. When people persecute you, it's not for us to go into panic mode. Jesus says we are to look at it as an opportunity to share your testimony. What is a testimony? If you're saved in Jesus Christ, you're not who you used to be. A testimony is who I used to be, how God changed me in Jesus Christ, and how I've been ever since. One, two, three. That's a testimony. Who I used to be, how God changed me, and how I've been ever since. They will persecute you, and when they do, that's your opportunity. That's a time for your testimony. Again, I'm going to go refer back to Kim Davis. She refused to compromise from God's truth about marriage. Now, I remember seeing her on the news. She just got released from jail, and she was given a microphone and a camera, and she was on national TV. And what did she do? She gave glory to God. I thought that was awesome. She praised God. Not long after her persecution came down on that, they weren't done with her yet. Those who were against her, they published a record of her past marriages. They were mad at her for the gay marriage issue, they, they posted something online for about her past marriages, and I found it on, online. If you can show that Davis chart, there it is. What you see here, it's kind of hard to see, 1984, 1993, 94, she goes and marries this guy, then she divorces, then she goes and marries that guy, and they make it look like this mocking little chart. Oh, married to him now, married to this guy, now she goes back and marries to this guy again. They're making fun of her marriage here. All these people that she'd been married to. But I want to show you something that they made a mistake on. Right here, this box, 2011, says, 
she gets saved. After 2011, there's no more divorce in that, in that chart. She has no more divorce in her life. What they set up to mock her with actually proved her testimony. <laughs> Isn't that cool? They'll persecute you, but it's an opportunity for testimony. Kim Davis is saved now. Now she knows relationship. Now she knows marriage. She didn't before. So I think that kind of backfired on whoever made that up. This chart does not show Davis as a hypocrite. It shows that once she accepts Jesus, she remained married. And what the enemy tried to mock her with ended up demonstrating the power of God in her life. Occasion for testimony. Jesus is still of great encouragement. And we should not forget that he is with us and he protects us. So no matter what they do to you, especially your past. And I have a past. I've got friends that remember. They don't, they, they don't know nothing about me except who I used to be. They don't know who I am now. They hear I'm a pastor, they can't believe it. They will not come in here and listen to me. They're thinking of old Ray. But you know what? It's an opportunity for testimony, and they persecute me. And the more they do, the more I get an opportunity to show them who I am now. And it's going to happen to you too. See, it's not all about you anymore. Oh, I'm saved. I'm just going to heaven. That's what most people think. No, it's not just about you anymore. You're saved? Great. Represent to others who aren't. That's why this happens. That's why persecution Now listen to what he says next, Luke 21 and 14. Therefore settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake." But not a hair of your head shall be lost. By your patience, possess your souls. When you find yourself under persecution, and boy, I sure have, and I know many of you sure have too. When you find yourself under persecution, Jesus said he will give you the words to say and the wisdom in how to say it, how to handle the situation. You don't have to worry about what you're going to do. Now, this applies to those of us who are in the body of Christ, those who study the Word of God. Those who study the Word of God. I've seen people use this passage as a reason why they think they don't have to read the Bible. They think they don't have to read the Bible. Oh, Jesus said He'll just give us the words when we need it. That's not what He meant. Yes, He will give us the words when we need it based on the behavior of being a disciple. Based on being a disciple. Remember, Jesus is talking to disciples here, dedicated men who left their nets. They left everything to follow Him. They submitted to Him. They obey Him. They do as He says. If you are truly in the Lord, you will do what He says. There's way too many people today that say they're a believer in Jesus, but they will not go to a congregation and be in the body of believers. They won't study the Word of God. And instead of being givers, they try to gain for themselves. Jesus won't give them the words to say. Because these kinds of unbelieving people are likely not to be the persecuted, but rather the persecutors. For those who are in Jesus, for real, you will be persecuted. But Jesus is going to give you the words to say. You will be hated for my name's sake, he said, but not a hair of your head will be lost. That's comforting to know. For all of you who are out there saying, I'm a Christian, and you do not go to church anywhere, 
you certainly don't tithe because you think you can't afford it because you're thinking of all the other toys and things and, and the luxury that you would rather have with your money. Remember what God said to those guys that he gave the money to and said, do business till I come back. And he came back. One of them would not do business with that money. What did he do? He took it away from him, gave it to someone else and said, take this man and slay him with all the people who said, we refuse to be ruled by this king. You're deceived. You're deceived. I've been talking with some people here this week that come to me and say, oh, Ray, the Lord spoke to me. Well, what did he say? And it was always God speaking to them based on them being right about an argument with their wife. Well, see, I'm going to tell my wife I'm right because the Lord told me I'm right. Well, I'm just happy the Lord spoke to me because I'm such a Christian now. Well, are you in the Bible? No. You going to church anywhere? No. Have you tithed yet? No. And you think God's going to speak to you when you're not doing anything you, that he tells you to do. In the book of James, we, we heard when John Peake was talking to us, he says, it says, uh, do not be deceived. When you read the Bible, do what it says. And the Bible says, do not forsake the assembly. If you forsake the assembly, you're being deceived. <laughs> that just goes to reason with what the Bible says. There's too many people that are deceived. They think that they're in God's will and they're not. They're going to be those who persecute. And guess what? When I warned my friend that he's being deceived, what did he do? He persecuted me for it. But it was an opportunity for me to give him testimony. In Luke uh, 21 and 20, he's talk, going to talk about the destruction of Jerusalem. He says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Remember, they asked, what's the sign before the temple goes down? Here it is. When surrounded by armies, then you'll know the desolation is near. Then let us who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the day of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. I was talking to Dove about this passage. And there were many people who did not take this, they did not take this passage for what Jesus meant. When the armies got around it, they were used to having Roman rule around, they did not leave like Jesus said. The believers who believed in Jesus, who understood this passage, they got out of there because they asked for a sign. When they saw these armies come around, they booked it out. And there was a lot of people who did not because they did not believe in the Messiah and they, they got trampled here. Now, Jesus, he returned to the disciples' original question about the temple being destroyed. Now, the disciples were accustomed to the temple in Jerusalem. So they basically asked Jesus, if there's going to be no temple, if it's going to be destroyed, if there's going to be no temple, then when are you coming back to set it up again? Thanks for listening today. And please join me every day, Monday through Friday, unless our Lord Jesus returns for us this week. This program is listener-supported and depends on tax-deductible donations to stay on the air. Give to Watch Therefore and contact me through our website at watchtherefore.tv. You can also send tax-deductible donations to Watch Therefore, P.O. Box 564, Pearland, Texas, 77588. Again, by the web, watchtherefore.tv, and mail, Watch Therefore, P.O. Box 564, Pearland, Texas, 77588. You can also call me right now 
at 713-624-0943. That's 713-624-0943. Keep watching for Messiah Jesus. This is John Peake with Israeli Self-Defense and Fitness. We are the new breed of martial arts and fitness designed to give you the understanding and skills to defend yourself and your family against an attack or threat by an armed or unarmed attacker or multiple attackers. We're an international organization led by former Israeli soldiers with a curriculum that is simple and effective. You owe it to yourself, family, and loved ones to be able to defend against any assault should the need arise. We are followers of Jesus Christ, led by His Holy Spirit to provide a safe and functional training environment to develop life-saving skills and increase your physical fitness beyond what you may think is possible. We offer group, private, and corporate training. Call today and mention KKHT to get a 10% discount on your membership. Remember, you owe it to yourself and loved ones not to be a victim. Visit us on the web at IsraeliSelfDefense.net or call 713-53-TRAIN. That's 713-538-7246 to get started today.